Hey, have you got bare walls at home or in your office? Do you want to surround yourself with the majesty and inspiration of our mountains? I'm talking truly incredible photography of Western North Carolina landscapes. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stay tuned for details. It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Hey, welcome to the show. It's Friday, August 14th, 2020. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. The show is made possible by patrons such as Julie and Shelley, Greg, Paul, Dennis, David, Matthew, Joseph, Trudy, Jim and Robbie and Catherine and Matthew. I appreciate all the support. Could not do it without you guys. And uh, you can become a patron as well. Go to thepetecallendershow.com, click the link, and uh, you get exclusive content. Like last night, we did our uh, live stream of consciousness, which is always a lot of fun. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it is. It's a lot of fun. We enjoy it. So uh, today is going to be COVID day. Uh, because the governor gave another press conference. He's limited these, actually. He used to do them about three or four times a week. Now he's down to about two, if maybe one. And um, so he did this press conference yesterday, and uh, they said that the numbers are all looking good. They are down. They're stable. Uh, I mean, don't get into uh, don't get it into your head that that means we're going to be lifting any kind of restrictions. No, no, no. In fact, we're going to be enforcing more because now we're going to double down. So, uh, you know, over the last few months, we have been told that if we flatten the curve, we do all of these things. Then we make these sacrifices. Then uh, we flatten the curve. We stabilize. We lower the numbers and we have a good trajectory. And then we can start lifting the restrictions. But no, no, it actually meant that, uh, oh, the restrictions are working. And so we're just going to keep them all in place to drive down the numbers even more as if he can do such a thing. I am becoming more and more convinced, by the way, that virtually none of the restrictions had a discernible impact on the on the well, I should say. Uh, the, the restrictions on nursing homes and prisons and jails, congregate living facilities that did not take effect immediately, but probably should have, um, you know, those those restrictions totally on board with it makes perfect sense. And it did from the very beginning, especially when we saw what was happening uh, in New York, in New York City specifically. So, uh, no, actually, the all the restrictions and all of the lockdowns, all of the mask mandates, all of this stuff, uh, I'm not so sure that it had any kind of a discernible impact on the spread of the virus. I don't know. I cannot say with any kind of authority, uh, with any kind of, I don't know, comfort level and, and, and belief in the data, because all of the charts, take a look at all of the charts from all around the world, when, when you look at case counts and you look at uh, the CFR, the case fatality rate, which is really the the most important number, but the governor never does that number. Um, when you look at all of the charts, they all kind of look the same. They all kind of look the same. I'm going to get into that first. Let me start with, this was from a week ago, and uh, this was the governor announcing that he's going to keep us in phase two, the safer at home executive order, or the, the SHEO. With the hustle and bustle of opening schools, people will move around more, and so will the virus. 
Other states that lifted restrictions quickly have had to go backward as their hospital capacity ran dangerously low and their cases jumped higher. We will not make that mistake in North Carolina. Mm, no. In keeping with our dim-a-switch approach with school openings and in order to push for decreasing numbers, which will keep people healthier and boost our economy, North Carolina will remain paused in Safer at Home Phase 2 for five weeks. Experts believe our mandatory mask order stabilized our numbers. And just last week, we added a curfew on alcohol sales to keep restaurants from turning into bars, which are high transmission areas. All right. So a couple things. Uh, number one, there again, he, he admits that, yes, the numbers are good, but now I see the schools opening and that's going to mean more transmission. So, you know, what? we're just going to keep everything in place uh, so nothing changes and uh, to help drive down the numbers in anticipation of these spreader events at the schools. Number one. Number two, his assertion that the mask order, the mandatory masks statewide, that that somehow stabilized the numbers. I'm going to get into that. It's not true. If it is true, he hasn't proven it, nor has anybody else. And it's basically impossible to prove. I'm going to get into that. Um, He also, though, cites this 11 p.m. curfew of alcohol sales. And he says that it was meant to limit the bar scene. And his, by the way, the way he discusses the bar scene, it makes me wonder, like, how long has it been since he's been in a bar? Anyway, he and his secretary of health, Mandy Cohen, repeatedly point out how other states did reopen the bars and now they can't open schools. Right. This is the comparison. Constantly talking about other states and how, you know, they rushed to reopen and now look at them Republicans. Ha ha ha. They're they're now not able to do everything that we can do, right? So if if you reopen the bars, that means you can't reopen the schools. Wait till he finds out that he's not reopening the schools either, though. He's not doing that either. By the way, Wallet Hub just came out with a ranking of the states that are most restrictive. The corona most restrictions, uh, coronavirus restrictions, and North Carolina, we're like 49th out of 51 because District of Columbia. So 49. There are only two other jurisdictions that have more restrictive uh, uh, regulations due to the coronavirus than us. So it's not our imagination, right? Like we are frozen in this in this spot where the governor is keeping us because I suspect they're looking at these numbers and they're going to. They're going to make some announcement when they feel confident that the numbers have hit sort of a, a low enough point that they can claim credit for it. Now, the problem is seasonality, and they're aware of this. They don't talk about it, but seasonality, which means come winter time, the numbers are going to start tracking back up. And then what is going to be the excuse? Not even come winter, come fall. You're going to start seeing the numbers go back up because it's a virus. And when you look at the way it behaves, it behaves like virtually all other viruses. So speaking of the virus, by the way, do you want an easy way to clean your workplace or your home to kill the coronavirus? Get the Karcher misting system with vital oxide disinfectant. It is available for rent at General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. This is your source for the Karcher mister with the vital oxide disinfectant. You rent this thing. It's like the size of a shop vac. It's got four wheels. You roll it around. It's cordless. And you just kind of, you know, it's got like a mister thing on it. And you just, you just spray it all over the place. And then you're good for up to 10 days. And all you got to do is spot clean the high traffic spots. Like if you got a cash register or something and everybody's using that, you want to keep wiping that down, obviously. But everything else gets sanitized for a week to 10 days. It's safe for kids and pets and food contact surfaces. It is uh, this vital oxide 
disinfectant is an all-in-one, hospital-grade, EPA-approved germicidal disinfectant, sanitizer, and deodorizer. It kills 99.9% of infection-causing bacteria and viruses, not just coronavirus, but all of the others too, like H1N1, MRSA, and E. coli. It also gets rid of mold, mildew, and fungi. Right? No rinse required, non-toxic, hypoallergenic, odorless, colorless, and 100% biodegradable. And you get the Karcher Mister at General Equipment Rental in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Family owned and operated for three generations. These are great people, and they got a great business. Go check them out. They're also, by the way, your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. Go to generalrents.com slash Pete, and you'll get a coupon for two free cloth face coverings, general equipment rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox. So Governor Cooper says at this press conference that the schools, uh, you know, that's the top priority, so we want them to open, and that's why we haven't opened the bars. But Paul Wolverton from the Fayetteville Observer asked what I thought was the toughest question that the governor has received in months. Uh, Thank you, Governor. It's Paul Wolverton with the Fayetteville Observer. Uh, On Sunday... Two of my brothers and I went to a craft beer brewery, and it required masks and social distancing. And the atmosphere there was like having a drink at one of the private clubs that are closed. And the only meaningful difference seemed to be that the beer is made on site instead of being shipped in on a truck. And the restaurant bars are pretty much the same thing. So if a bar atmosphere is conducive to spreading COVID, why aren't you putting the hammer down on the craft beer brew pubs and the restaurant bars beyond your 11 p.m. curfew? Or if the restaurants and brew pubs are handling the health rules effectively, why not allow the private clubs and other places to open with safety restrictions? There is a difference in that these were made, uh, the products are made on site. And in addition, the small number of those uh, craft breweries and wineries presented a strong plan of public safety to the Department of Health and Human Services to the point that the experts believed (laughs) that that would work. He always refers to these faceless, nameless people as the experts. Oh, well, he said the experts said that they presented a plan that would work. So it's totally different than a bar. This is asinine. There is no difference between a brewery and a bar, okay? I, I used to work at a bar. I've worked at restaurants. And I've not worked at a brewery, but I have been to them. They are all the same. The only difference is, and by state law, this is how they classify the differences, is based on how much food you sell and how much alcohol you sell. It's ridiculous. It's a distinction without a difference right now. Breweries versus bars. And he can't explain. He has no explanation for why the breweries are allowed open, but the bars are not. He says, well, there's, you know, because they make their beer on site. It has nothing to do with a virus, with epidemiology or anything else. Got nothing to do with it. Also, what has nothing to do with it is uh, the alcohol booze ban, the, the curfew as well. He's like, oh, you know, we put the curfew on there, too. Doesn't matter either. That doesn't matter. You're telling me that the breweries, with their plans to reopen safely, somehow they came up with a plan that a bar could not. But a bar could then stay open just as late as a brewery could. But somehow or another not do that safely like a brewery can. It's stupid, okay? He's gaslighting us at this point telling us that the thing that we are seeing is not the thing that we are seeing. And when we point this stuff out as obviously asinine, uh, he uh, just says, oh, no, no, it's just different. You just don't understand because the experts say blah, blah, blah. It's really, um, 
it's really a mendacious kind of a tactic. All right, so fast forward now to this week's press conference where the governor said, hey, you know what, we're making progress, I'm encouraged, but we have to keep working to fight this disease. Today, the Department of Public Safety is sharing direction to law enforcement across the state and on our college campuses about the importance of enforcing the face mask order and limits on large gatherings. While no one wants violations to end in arrests, <laughs> it's important for the health and safety of our communities that we all do our part. Okay, so now he's talking about sticking cops on people for not wearing masks and sending the cops to uh, fraternity parties, I guess, and sorority houses. I think they broke one up uh, on, on a campus. There were like several hundred kids there, uh, you know, college kids there. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you got to break it, you know, break it up and all this. Um, same reason for the bars, by the way. And by the way, this is also what people predicted. When you ban alcohol sales in the bars, you're just going to drive the partiers to people's homes, to private residences, right? This was this is not rocket science. The, people will they will skirt the rules to do what they want to do. They don't believe the risk is great enough for them. Now they may be stupid about that, but they also might I don't know be on to something because in their age demographic, a college kid, the chance of dying from COVID very 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 low, and it's even lower for kids under the age of 17, okay? Uh, Yet we are all in this, I'm going to start calling it a panic now because that's what it seems like we're in. The numbers, the case numbers have been declining. The deaths have been way, way, way down. This is the, the chart that I'm talking about that looks the same virtually everywhere you go. You got a big bulge and then it tapers off. And we're going to get to that later on. Uh, So he says he's happy. They're making some progress. He's encouraged. He announces some new grants for businesses and nonprofits through a Department of Commerce program called the Job Retention Grant Program. It's got $15 million out of the federal relief funding. And uh, he says businesses are eligible for grants up to $250,000 if they did not receive any funding from another program like the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program. So if you got money for that uh, through that program, then I guess you don't qualify for this one. We're also trying to get help for those left behind by the loss of the federal unemployment benefits that ended last month. Congress should act to give people certainty on these benefits. And I encourage Washington to set aside partisanship and get the job done. I also ask the General Assembly to improve the paltry short-term state benefits that are now provided to those unemployed through no fault of their own. In addition, we've set up a child care hotline to help families find care for their school-aged children. Remote learning and new school schedules present challenges if you're a working parent. This resource can help make sure children have safe, reliable care. If you need help, The number to call is 888-600-1685. So just want to point out again that they're sending the kids to daycares and the daycare workers, like they can be exposed to COVID, but the teachers can't. (laughs) It shows you who has the powerful union in the state, right? Who has the ear of the governor? Is it the teachers or is it the daycare workers? When the governor is out there saying, send your kids to daycare, here's a number to get you in touch with all of these facilities, (laughs) but we're not going to open up the schools 
because of safety concerns, then you know which lobby is the more powerful one. Um, I am lobbying you to buy your mattress from Mattress Man. Okay, you want a new mattress, you know you want one, you want a good mattress, and so you, you get a great night's sleep, and you can get it at Mattress Man. Trust me on this, I got my mattress from Mattress Man, and I love it. Uh, Christy and I both love it. We say it's like it's like laying down on a marshmallow. It's a memory foam, it's a king size, the biggest bed we've ever had, uh, and it's really light, though. The memory foam mattresses are really light and super comfortable, um, and so you can pick one up, too, and right now they've got the great deal going on it's the triple zero deal zero down zero percent apr for up to two years zero payments for 90 days as well also for 399 you can get a queen size gel memory foam mattress and a free bedding bundle with the purchase of select mattresses this includes sheets protectors and pillows go check out the biltmore collection this is the line by restonic made out of fayetteville these are the ho- uh, these are the um mattresses that are in the Biltmore Hotel and Inn, so you know they are good. Experience the difference at Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com, five-star delivery service, and they do ship nationwide with a 120-day comfort guarantee. Mattress Man, buy local and sleep better. All right, so then Mandy Cohen, after the governor makes his remarks, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Mandy Cohen, she gets up and presents the department's latest data. This first graph looks at people who come to the emergency department with COVID-like symptoms. COVID-like symptoms. This is the most timely data we have, and it's our earliest detection mechanism. Taking a look at the yellow line, you can see that this trend is declining, and that is a positive sign. Oh, good. Next, we look at laboratory-confirmed cases. This first graph on cases gives you a look at the trajectory of those new cases each day since we had our very first case back in March. I want to pause here and remind everyone that as you look at this curve, you don't see a surge or a spike. We didn't see a first spike here in April as we took early and aggressive action, and we have avoided the surge in cases other southern states continue to see. Okay, so she is crafting a narrative here that we did not see a spike or a surge in the case count, Um, yet it was increasing. Don't call it a surge, even though it was called a surge at the time. In fact, they pointed to the rising case counts at the time for why we had to stay locked down and why we still aren't out of the lockdown, right? We still have the 49th uh, least restrictive, I don't know how to best say this, like we're third most restrictive, it would be third most restrictive state. Okay, so uh, we so he's saying that because we did all of that, that's why we haven't seen a lot of these case counts. Okay, but what about the death counts? We're over 2000 in this state. This is what I mean. The case fatality rate, the case fatality rate, it's basically the same in every state. So also they say it was the increasing uh, counts that prompted the administration to mandate the masks. And so they claim credit for this as well. Um is it possible, though, just spitballing here, that this virus just simply behaves like virtually all viruses and that it's seasonal? So the warmer weather limited the spread? Also, infection rates that prompt herd immunity are estimated by some experts actually to be as low as like 25% of the population. And indications are pretty strong that a lot of the states already hit this number. So we may be just spacing out the time it takes to get to herd immunity, which is somewhere around 25%. Um, 
Let's see, then uh, Cooper was asked about increasing enforcement of the mask mandate. We think this is good for not only the safety of their customers and their employees, but it's also good business for them. And we're encouraging people, if you're in a retail store and you see people not wearing masks or employees not wearing masks, to tell the management. We're also informing law enforcement and uh, Secretary Hooks, I'm gonna ask him to come up and say a word or two. He's already getting word out to law enforcement about ways to approach this so that we can get more people in compliance. We've already seen the numbers, the correlation in flattening things out and stabilizing and even seeing a a beginning of a decline. We know that that's related to face mask wearing and social distancing. Mm. So we want law enforcement to be more involved in this process. Be more involved, more law enforcement interaction with citizens. (laughs) Democrats, I tell you, on the one hand, on the one hand, they complain about all the interactions law enforcement have with people and yeah, then, you know, bad things happen. Somebody gets injured. Somebody gets shot, right, because of these interactions. Meanwhile, they're like, all right, we're going to send the cops out after everybody to enforce the mask mandate. So um, also you hear again, he's directly tying the decline in the numbers to the mask mandate. They've been doing this now for the last week. They've been they've been claiming credit that the decline in the numbers is due to the decline in the in the. Uh, uh, COVID-like illnesses and deaths that that is due to, and hospitalizations, that that is due to the mask mandate that they put in place. What's amazing, though, is when you when you look at when the mask mandate was put in place, it takes way too much time, way too much time for the, that to be correlated, for that to be connected to the mask mandate. Okay, so let me let me actually just go ahead and do this. So PolitiFact, I was very interested in this because PolitiFact, which is out of WRAL, their reporter there, Andy Specht, he does all of the PolitiFact NC. And um, he took up this question of whether or not at this press conference, the health secretary, Mandy Cohen, said our actions to slow the spread of this virus are having an impact. Specifically, we see a direct correlation to the start of the statewide mask requirement at the end of June. Two to three weeks after implementing this requirement, we started to see the beginning of these more stable trends, <laughs> which is a lot, of, a lot of wiggle room there. We, we saw the beginning of more stable trends. It was still going up and continue to go up, right? Continue to go up and up and up. And then eventually it, it, it tailed off. It started to it level down and it's now tapering off much like all of the graphs from all of the states show. So is it true that there is a direct correlation between the mask mandate and COVID-19 stabilization? Here is what PolitiFact, which is supposed to be the arbiter of all things true, right? They hold themselves up as the fact checkers. Like, we're going to make sure that you have the accurate information. We're going to check these facts so you know. Experts told PolitiFact that the mask law and case count could be related but that it's hard to quantify the law's impact. Yeah. Governor Roy Cooper, by the way, the the major urban population centers, they enacted mask mandates weeks or even a month before Governor Cooper did. So what's up with that? So how does Cooper claim credit for that if local jurisdictions had already done this stuff? Governor Cooper announced the mask mandate on the 24th. It goes into effect the 26th. Okay. 
Um, we spoke with experts at the University of North Carolina, Harvard University, the University of Nebraska, and the University of Toronto. And while they agreed that there may be a correlation, <laughs> they say there's not enough evidence yet to determine how much influence the mask rule had on the stabilization. Other factors like social distancing or testing availability could also play a role. I would also submit seasonality might play a role, right? But reviewing that data typically takes months, said Ryan McNamara, a research associate at UNC's Department of Microbiology and Immunology. He said there's just a lot of variables at play that need to be accounted for. Then you got the dean of the College of Public Health and a professor of epidemiology at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, Ali Khan, who agreed it's premature to directly credit the mask rule for the leveling off of cases. Then you got Dr. Barry Bloom, a research professor of public health at Harvard University, and he said it's difficult to disaggregate a single intervention from the other standard public health behaviors, right? So all of these guys are saying the same thing, which is what? That you can't really tell. You can't really tell. But Mandy Cohen said there's a direct correlation between the mask requirement and the stabilization. And so all these experts are like, yeah, it might be true, but you really can't prove that. So you can't say there's a direct correlation. I mean, if you're trying to be honest about it, right? And so here's how PolitiFact comes down on it with their ruling. Based on the data available in July, experts said there does appear to be a correlation, but it's too early to draw a conclusion about it. Verifying the strength of that correlation can take months. The statement is accurate, but needs clarification or additional information. And so we rate it mostly true. Unbelievable. Your PolitiFact. It's just... What happened to you? What happened to you guys? You used to... No, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, honestly, like, I don't trust them now. I, well, I haven't for a while. I haven't for a while. The, the, the choices of, of statements that they fact-check reveals a bias. The way they conclude, like in this case, is a perfect example of it. You have all the experts saying, you can't prove this. And so they say, well, but it's probably true. So we're going to say mostly true, but we need some more clarification. No, you need evidence, guys. You need evidence and you don't have evidence, but you think there might be evidence and it probably maybe could have. And so therefore it's true. This is insanity. Did the mask order work? John Sanders takes this up. He is uh, with the John Locke Foundation. I'll get to what uh, what his analysis found on this in a minute. First, today is Friday the 14th. So tomorrow, Saturday in Blowing Rock, Art in the Park from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Go see my friend Stacy Redman at Red Rock Photography. All right. You are going to see in his booth the most amazing photos of the Blue Ridge Mountains you've ever seen. So stunning. You will buy like seven or eight of them just without even thinking. Um, RedRockPhotoNC.com is the website. Stacy is from Western North Carolina. Uh, and in these COVID times, he's, you know, uh, He's had seen like half of his art shows canceled so far, so times are very tough for him. And uh, But we've got this art in the park in Blowing Rock. It's outside, so if you're looking for something to do, get away for the weekend. Go for Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Go to Blowing Rock, art in the park, or go to his website, redrockphotonc.com, and use the promo code PETE for 20% off, redrockphotonc.com. So John Sanders writing at the John Locke Foundation's uh, website, The Locker Room, he says, did the mask mandate work? Did the order work? It's a question that went largely unasked for several weeks following the order. 
That could be because the media talking point, which even made it to Newsweek and NPR on July 30th, so six days, or sorry, yeah, six days after the mandate was ordered, um, the, the talking point, the narrative was that North Carolina was in the midst of a spike in coronavirus cases. I'm old enough to remember when this was the storyline. This was the narrative. It was all over. Oh my gosh, we're in the middle of a spike. There's a surge. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Although now you hear Cohen and Cooper saying, no, no, there was no surge, no spike. It's just, it was just a, an increase that increasingly increased over a period of time. It was not a surge, not a spike, <laughs> which of course is a completely subjective definition, right? What is a spike? What is a surge? It's an increase. How big of an increase? Hard to say. I mean, I think it would be like uh, a severe increase probably for a spike, but a surge, not so much. So the next day after uh, these articles like Newsweek and NPR, on July 31, Cohen was telling NPR that the masks had worked and that they had started working two to three weeks after Cooper's June 26th order. This was, in fact, the administration's updated talking point, which they had unveiled at the July 28th press briefing, which I just played for you those clips. It was then that Cohen announced that the state's trends had shown early signs of stabilizing. Cohen specifically credited the face mask order, uh, saying that there is a direct correlation. Uh, and this is what I just read to you from PolitiFact and their ridiculous fact check. The idea that Cohen is telling the truth because she could be telling the truth and could have access to data that the rest of us can't see, now that might strike some people as compelling. But safe to say it may be possible that others could find this line of reasoning pretty flimsy. And I do. I am one of those people. Because these experts that were cited by PolitiFact, one of the other uh, guys, I think he was out of Harvard, and he was like, well, you know, she may have all sorts of access to information that we just don't see. And so maybe it's true. Again, you want it to be true. You want her to be right, and you want to defend the precious, the governor. And so uh, this automatically becomes a mostly true statement, despite the fact that there's no proof of it. She said there's a direct correlation. There is no direct correlation. What she said was false. It's really that simple. Anyway, if you're looking for evidence of the mask order working and you're told to expect not to see any reduction for several weeks, then all of this fits. You can't call it a direct correlation, but you can say that it fits. But there's a big problem with that, Sanders writes. Cohen's research did not say the effect of a mask order would take weeks. In fact, she promised that the effects would be immediate and they would be large. The research that Cohen used held that the effects of a mask order were so immediate that it was better to begin measuring them on the day a mask order was announced, not on the day it actually took effect. So, a continued greater upward slope for weeks after the mask order was implemented or announced is not what we were promised in the science and data and facts, oh my, provided by the Cooper administration. Cohen had, with presumed scientific merit, shifted the goalposts for the order several weeks after the fact. They're making the, they're making the data fit the narrative they want at this point. Okay, The case counts, I have said this for months, the case count metric is not very instructive. A more instructive metric for them to be focusing on every single week that they do these press briefings is the case fatality rate. Because the more, the longer the pandemic lasts, by the way, um, the more the more testing you're going to have, and you're also going to have more people that have picked it up and are asymptomatic, which is going to drive the case counts up. It has to be so. 
this is a virus and viruses behave a certain way. Back on July 31st, Sanders says, I explained that the spike in cases had earned North Carolina bad press in Newsweek. Um, And it was really a spike in testing, bringing about a proportionate spike in known cases. Why proportionate? Well, because the proportion of tests returning positive has been relatively stable for months. For that reason, a change in the amount of testing brings about a proportionate change in the amount of cases. More testing, right? More cases. Fewer tests, fewer cases. But in this case, more testing means more cases, which means we need the mask mandate. And now we've got fewer cases, or sorry, fewer tests, and now you see fewer cases. And by the way, did you see what just happened? That the uh, they had to redo their numbers because they were double counting about 200,000 tests. So they reduced by 200,000. And that puts us, instead of what WRAL has that story, that we were doing pretty well as compared to other states with the number of tests that we were conducting. We were like 15th in America. Uh, but now, after this discrepancy, here's the AP version of it. The North Carolina public health officials have announced a major reporting error in the number of coronavirus tests conducted since the start of the pandemic. Uh, North Carolina had previously reported having more than 2 million COVID-19 tests performed. Officials now say that is 200,000 more than they are, uh, than were actually performed, and they blame LabCorp. DHHS Secretary Mandy Cohen says the company gave different numbers when it reported electronically and manually. She noted that the error does not affect data on key metrics, such as the number the number of confirmed cases and deaths. Okay, so that's what that's what she's saying. This doesn't have any impact. We 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 had this double count or this other kind of count. It doesn't have anything anything to do with the confirmed cases or the deaths. All right. Now here's WRAL. The correlation is the latest in a string. Sorry, the correction is the latest in a string of fixes that DHHS has made to its data in recent days as the pandemic entered its sixth month in the state. In a press briefing, Cohen stressed that the change to total testing numbers did not impact two other key metrics, new positive cases and the percentage of tests that come back positive because they're calculated through a separate process. But the change in the cumulative count of total tests, which as of Wednesday, the correction went from more than 2 million to 1.8. That is far from trivial. After shedding more than 10% of its total tests, the new figure shows North Carolina is falling behind other states across the country in per capita testing. So we were 15th. Now we are, I think, where is it? 46th? Sorry, 26th. So we went from 15th to 26th overnight because of that correction in the data which actually I'm okay with. Totally fine with mistakes. That, no, I'm not fine with mistakes being made, but I understand mistakes are going to be made. And when you find them out, then you correct them. And that's that's okay. Now, that being said, I don't think we need to be rushing forward and trying to make sure we have as many tests done as every other state because simply you, and here's why, the data collection on that is fine, but the data is used by the administration to keep us in phase two lockdown. This case count number is what they're using. And that's that's directly tied to the number of, of number of tests that you are doing. So the more tests you do, the more cases you're going to find. And uh, I, again, I'm going to circle back to that. Let me, let me finish up, though, on John Sanders' piece here. He says, 
they said the administration said that the trends were stabilized. So when do they actually lift restrictions? When does that happen? And when do when does it happen that you go to old Grouch's military surplus? When does that happen? Have you asked yourself that? You should be. And then let me know. Now more than ever, you need old Grouch's military surplus. In downtown Clyde, he has got an expanded line of first aid kits and medical supplies for all kinds of emergencies, from scrapes to gunshot wounds, with step-by-step instructions that anybody can follow and avoid a trip to the hospital. Body armor, all kinds, made to NATO specs. This is for in-store or over-the-phone purchases only. Face masks that are made locally by a disabled veteran family out of military parachutes. They're lightweight and they're soft. Steel gas cans, the pre-band kind, old school ones, plus tons of real U.S. military surplus for more than three decades old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. The shop is open Monday through Saturday across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. So Governor Cooper said that it was encouraging to see our numbers stabilizing. Okay, Cooper and Cohen have made stabilization of the trends the goal before we could enjoy lifting any restrictions. Then they wanted to take credit for the trends stabilizing, but not lift any of the restrictions, right? He he changed what this meant, what stabilizing meant. He changed what that meant for us. He says, in order to start a downward trend, we have to double down on actions that slow the spread of the virus, he said. Stable is good, but decreasing is better. So what? We achieve the goal, so we get more punishment. Cohen put it this way. Seeing glimmers of potential progress does not mean we can let up. It means it's time to double down while we're stabilizing. Clearly, Cooper and Cohen moved the goalposts again. They told us stabilizing our trends would mean lifting restrictions. Then they said our trends had stabilized, but they redefined it to mean it's time to double down on restrictions. It is a bad sign of things to come. This is what is concerning me, because you look at the way the trend lines go, and they are, quote, stabilized, and if you want to claim credit for the stabilization, that's one thing, but you told us that stabilization meant lifting of restrictions, the dimmer switch approach. This isn't a dimmer switch. It hasn't been a dimmer switch since, what, May? Um, John Trump, no relation to the president. <laughs> uh, he had a piece at Carolina Journal, also quoting John Sanders, uh, and he says that uh, have uh, that Cooper and Cohen have especially made use of reported new cases of the virus to keep the public alarmed that the virus is getting worse and that Cooper's increasingly stringent mitigation measures are ever needed. Politically, it's working, but that doesn't make it right. The rise in hospital cases can be directly attributed to an increase in testing. John Sanders says, reporting on COVID-19 is enmeshed in fear and politics. Hospitalizations as a percentage of active cases has actually flatlined. That is a key metric. Hospitalizations as a percentage of active cases. Because remember, when they come out and they say, we have 200,000 or now, sorry, 180,000 cases. What does that mean? That means since the beginning, that means people who got it, and then recovered. And the vast majority of people have recovered. So hospitalizations as a percentage of active cases, not total cases, but active cases, that number has flatlined. That's a stable number. So people get COVID and those who go into a hospital as a percentage of the active cases 
flatlined, right? As has the metric, the, the proportion of positive tests, okay? So they're testing and testing and testing more and more and more and more and more people, but uh, the percentage of positive tests, that hasn't changed either. That's flatlining too. There is a steady rise in hospitalizations, and we're supposed to think it's a bad thing, Sanders says. Uh, What people aren't told is that it's so much related to how much testing we're doing. It's simply a matter that we're testing more and we're finding more cases. He says uh, deaths have steadily declined since early June, and uh, health department data, according to that data, 79% of people who died of COVID-19 were 65 or older. John Barry in an afterword from his book, The Great Influenza, The Epic Story of the Greatest Plague in History, about the 1918 pandemic, he wrote that he wrote about fear and how this fear was spurred by the media and by public officials. In 1918, he says, quote, the lies of officials and of the press never allowed the terror to condense into the concrete. The public could trust nothing, and so they knew nothing. The hazy science and culture of fear permeates every level of government now. Cooper and Cohen are not lying necessarily, but they're also not telling the, telling us the whole truth. The final lesson of 1918, according to that author, is simple, yet one of the most difficult to execute. And the lesson applies today, that those who occupy positions of authority must lessen the panic that can alienate all within a society. Public trust is key. And the way to do that is to distort nothing, to put the uh, to put the best face on nothing, to try to manipulate no one. Abraham Lincoln said it first and said it best. And this is the thing. They keep trying to put the best face on all of this. You can, it, it's in their language. It's in their tone, the way they speak to us like we're kindergartners. It's annoying. And they don't talk about the science. There's no challenging information that's ever allowed at these news conferences. Um, Like, I'm of the opinion now, like, these reporters, they're basically worthless, in my opinion. They don't know what they're, they they don't know the topic that they're covering. And I'm not claiming to be an expert either. Um, However, the stuff that they're asking, it's all part of the same sort of, well, when are we going to reopen? Or when are you going to drop the hammer down? It's all speculative journalism, and it's all in service to the panic porn. It's all in service to this idea that we all need to be afraid. And let's be honest, that is sort of what media does all the time. If you're not afraid, we're not doing our jobs, right? And so you need to have somebody in there. If you're a reporter, maybe, I don't know, go and ask some actual experts that may challenge some of these uh some of the data, some of the some of the narrative coming out of the Cooper administration. Now, maybe you think that your job is not to challenge the governor on this stuff because we're in the middle of a crisis, right? Maybe. I disagree. I think that when he's citing data and science and facts, and he says, well, the, the health experts are saying this, I think it's incumbent upon news organizations, just like they do when they're covering trials, they bring in a lawyer to give them expert analysis. And, and tell them, here are the questions you need to be asking. Here are the things you need to be looking for. They need to do that in this scenario as well. These organizations need to have some people who have differing views about the way uh, the governor is handling this to inform them of what questions they can ask to arrive at, at more information. Because right now we're not getting it. Now, if you're not getting your house sold, 
you need a new real estate agent. I recommend Rowena Patton. If you are selling a home and the house isn't moving, that's a big problem, particularly in this market. If you are thinking about selling a house, this is a great time to do it. 333-4483 is Rowena's phone number. Give her a call, 333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com. She outsells 99% of the realtors in North Carolina, and she is the only agent that I would use to buy or sell a house. Give her a call, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. A study by Wake Forest Baptist Health. Remember this? This was funded with the General Assembly money because the governor and the Health and Human Services, they wouldn't do it. So they were like, you know what? We're going to go out and we're going to start testing people randomly. Like we're going to fund research to find out how prevalent this thing is, right? So this Wake Forest Baptist Health study has found between 12 and 14% of people tested in North Carolina already have antibodies for the virus. 12 to 14% of us, meaning they have been exposed with most of them showing little or no symptoms at all. The majority of the study participants are in the triad area. The findings suggest that COVID-19 is less deadly than originally thought and that the death rate for the disease could be in the range of 0.1%. But the study also shows that there is a significant community spread and that efforts so far to curtail COVID-19 are faltering. It's a double-edged sword, says the chief of infectious diseases at Wake Forest Baptist. We are clearly seeing a rapid increase in the number of people that we have antibody evidence who have been infected. But he said the vast majority of these people don't have ever don't ever have any symptoms. We can look at it and say that the death rate is lower than what we have estimated. The severity of symptoms is lower than we have estimated. And the vast majority of people who are infected are going to do just fine. Uh, they began this study in early April. They got $100,000 from the General Assembly. And they say the initial results show that North Carolinians have been exposed to the coronavirus uh, around 1%. That's the, the, the total. But in the last two months, he said, the antibody tests show that the coronavirus has spread rapidly through the central part of the state. So what was a 1% infection is now up to 12 to 14%. By mid-May... The study showed that about 5% of people had been infected. By early June, as the state began to reopen, um, the number of people testing positive increased rapidly. So if 14% of the population has been infected, you do the math on a 10.5 million population set in North Carolina, that's about 1.5 million people who have already been infected. Wake Forest is now expanding this testing to atriums hospitals in the Charlotte region, as well as out in Wilmington. Mecklenburg County Health Director Gibby Harris cited um, estimates from the CDC that said the actual number of infections in the county could be 10 times higher than the number of known infections, which would mean more than a million people in the county already have been infected. Uh, Wake Forest says that it's possible that more people have been exposed to COVID-19 in the hard-hit counties like Mecklenburg and Wake uh, as of right now. So this is actually good news because the more people who have already been infected means that you've got more herd immunity and some of the stats are showing or some of the research is showing that herd immunity could actually kick in somewhere around 15 to 25 percent of the population and if we are approaching that might that explain why the numbers are dropping as well okay uh why the u.s ranks so poorly in coronavirus deaths per million. Did you see the interview that Trump did with uh, 
Axios, where uh, the guy was asking him, like, why are we, you know, so many dead and all of this? And Trump was like showing the papers around and all. Okay, so here's the point. We rank 10th in the world in deaths per million at 480 deaths per million. We rank behind Belgium, UK, Spain, Peru, Italy, Sweden, and Chile. Now, there are some pretty important reasons that have nothing to do with the president as to why that might be the case. So first, it is certain that some other countries are not being accurately measured. Okay, Many other high population countries are either third world, they're authoritarian, or both, and so they don't have terribly reliable numbers. This is according to Jim Garrity at National Review. Other countries are getting hammered as well, but shoddy infrastructure and record keeping, particularly in impoverished areas, mean that we don't really know how many people have died or what the true death rate is in China, Russia, Indonesia, Pakistan, sorry, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. Other countries started this pandemic with certain advantages, like populations that have more trust in their leadership, more experience with SARS and other disease outbreaks, so they don't blow these things off. Uh, and they wear more masks more habitually, right? They've got more of a mask culture to start with. And finally, the United States is being hit with the hyper-contagious version from Europe, while most of Asia got the less, contag uh, less contagious original strain out of China, although that could change. And maybe it already is. That's why we're seeing some of these numbers go up in some of these other areas in the in. Uh, in Asia, right? Maybe that's why like South Korea is now seeing another surge in numbers. Sorry, spike. Sorry, increase, right? Don't call it a spike surge. All right. A lot of Trump critics and foes seem to operate on the principle that acknowledging any factor outside of Trump, like China, World Health Organization, the decision of governors and mayors, like that this amounts to letting Trump off the hook for his decisions and statements. President Trump could have made a better argument by citing any of these other points. Of course, he did not do so because... You know, he's Donald Trump. Now, if you are thinking about uh, improving your website, maybe you're not getting a whole lot of traffic to it. There are ways that Schaefer Smith, that Schaefer Smith Design can help you because great design can solve a lot of your website's problems. You want your site to turn up in search results. You want it to look professional. You want it to look clean and nice, navigable, user-friendly. You want to be able to operate it and update it as you need to do, right? So, Call Schaefer Smith, professional services, corporate, small business, and entrepreneurs. Schaefer Smith can help you with graphics and photos, an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. He does logos. Look at my logo. It's pretty fantastic if I do say so myself. Uh, he helped me with that. He did that for me. So go to SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. So North Carolina's charts look a lot like every other state and nation's charts, a tall bulge at the left side and then a tapering off like a lopsided bell curve. So keep that image in mind as you listen to Ivor Cummins. He explains what we're in now, which is a case-demic. Cummins is a world-renowned chemical engineer with a long career in the medical device industry and others. His specialty is leading teams in complex problem-solving efforts. I continue to get asked about the case-demic, so let me explain. Here we see many European countries, and they're all pretty much the same. Community immunity and the passing of the susceptible, like all viruses in history, has caused the death rate to come right down. Back here, there was an epidemic with high death rates, sadly, of susceptible people. And now there is no epidemic by any reasonable definition because the death rates and ICU are right down. Here's Sweden intensive care loading they only reached around 60 percent of capacity 
and that was in the epidemic. But now there's no epidemic and there's only 32 ICU beds in the whole of Sweden, 10.5 million people. And they had no lockdown, no masks, and they're kind of just completely back to normal here. But if you kept testing with PCR tests, as is happening all around Europe, you'd get a case-demic and you could create a panic. The PCR testing is picking up people who are asymptomatic, who have no real health issues. He says it's finding viral fragments, and that's helping to drive the case count. So while the case count rises, the death count drops. That's a case-demic. He cites a massive study done on various respiratory vices also. And basically, we're not going to look at all the viruses, but we're going to focus in on uh, coronavirus. And I'm going to highlight the winters. And in the winter, there's 15 to 20 percent prevalence of coronavirus. But you also will see 5, 3, 7 percent uh, prevalence in the summer months as well. So you will always find viruses and virus fragments when you go looking. That's the point. So what does this mean for North Carolina? So we must always look at the mortality and intensive care loading to tell if we've got a major issue. You can't use PCR testing because in the rise of an epidemic, it may tell you useful things. But when an epidemic passes, it tends to just fuel a case-demic. So this article is very revealing. It's the swine flu panic of 2009 in Spiegel newspaper, mainstream newspaper. The link is there. Or you can Google Spiegel swine flu. Those words will get you the article. And it describes what really happened in that whole era. Uh, they don't use the word case-demic, but you will find that the word resonates with what's in this article. So very, very interesting. Right. So pandemic hits, you have the bulge at the front where you have a lot of the susceptible and vulnerable that die. And then as the testing ramps up, people think, oh, my gosh, look at all the cases. But the number of deaths is actually declining and has been for months. Now, ask yourself, why isn't the governor and his health secretary talking about this stuff with us at their press conferences? All right. That's a wrap for this episode. Remember, subscribe to the podcast and give it a positive review. Maybe uh, consider becoming a patron of the program. You'll get cool stuff and exclusive content. Links are at thepetecalendarshow.com and in the description of the podcast. Thanks so much for your support. I do appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.